Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Stars Like Us. I'm your host, Aliza Kelly, and it is an extraordinary honor to welcome today's guest onto the show. This is the one and only Stephen Forrest, astrologer, Capricorn Sun, Aries Moon, Scorpio Rising. Stephen Forrest is the author of a dozen astrological bestsellers, including the classic The Inner Sky. His work has been translated into many languages. Over the years, he has traveled worldwide teaching his brand of choice-centered evolutionary astrology, an astrology which integrates free will, grounded humanistic psychology, and ancient metaphysics. Currently, he leads an online school, the Forest Center for Evolutionary Astrology. Stephen, thank you so much for being here with us today. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you, Elisa. So I would love to just kick off our episode um, with you introducing our listeners to evolutionary astrology. Um, Stars Like Us is, I'm an astrologer myself, so I would imagine our listeners, we don't need to describe what astrology is, but maybe what this specific type of astrology and the practice of this uh, and how that shows up and how you, well, how you even discovered it in the first place. You know, I like to begin in a very grounded and simple way by asking people a question. Uh, which I hope they don't find insulting. Uh, think how dumb you were five years ago compared to today. You know, occasionally people get defensive, but most of us, if we have the grace of humility, will realize we were dumber then, which means we're smarter now. We have evolved, mm -hmm. we have learned. And I'm an evolutionary astrologer because evolution is a reality. It happens before our eyes. No one can really deny it. Uh, some of us are evolving faster than others. There's people who spend their lives in front of the TV, but they're even learning something. And so evolution happens second by second by second. Conventional astrology tends to be very descriptive. You're a Scorpio, so you're sexy. You're a Gemini, so you talk too much. You know, just the, the, the stupid side. But the, the, the worst part of it is the assumption of rigidity, the assumption that you have a personality profile. And in fact, your personality is a fluid thing. You're learning and growing. And if you have a little enthusiasm for the process, you'll learn and grow even more. Now, that's really the essence of it. Um, my system quickly becomes rather metaphysical. You've, you've learned a lot in the last five years, but you've learned a lot in the last 500 years, too. And uh, we typically use the language of reincarnation. And we, we feel that there is evidence in your birth chart of unresolved issues from prior lifetimes. We don't necessarily learn that your name was Suzanne and you ran a bar in Shakespearean England. You know, we we, we don't make that claim. Uh, but if your name was Suzanne and you ran a bar in Shakespearean England, so why did you sleep with that guy? Why did you make that mistake? And why are you inclined to make that mistake again in this lifetime? And how can you learn how to not do that? That's evolutionary. So with evolutionary astrology, we are not just making the statement of this, this motif, this narrative could have existed. We're also trying to figure out why it existed and its origin. Exactly. Exactly. It's uh, every, every astrologer and every school of thought will purport to answer the question, what does this chart mean? Or what does this configuration mm -hmm. mean? That's astrology legitimately. What we evolutionary astrologers do is, in addition to that, we ask the question, why do you think you have this chart? What purpose does it serve? Mm. And the 
what the answers that are being sought are not just pertaining to the conditions of this person's lifetime, but also the lifetimes that existed prior to this consciousness. Exactly. And the assumption uh, that there will be lifetimes after this one, too. And they will go better if you learn the lessons you need to learn in this lifetime. Uh, the analogy is so simple. If you if you flunk the eighth grade, you get to repeat it, you know. But uh, mm -hmm. if you thought it was bad the first time, you know, the second time will be even worse. So uh, I just had a how to support. Uh, I'll say souls in their evolution. That, that's really the most serious way of saying it. But I I also want to make sure this is understood to be practical it's like this is a pathway to happiness and fulfillment nobody nobody needs metaphysics to benefit from this kind of astrology it's it's the language we use but you know if something isn't working in your life uh maybe you can figure that out and figure out a better way to to live and that's its own reward and I know that in evolutionary astrology we're working a lot with the nodes the north and the south node so in yeah. your practice how would you describe, um, and obviously we're also speaking in the midst of eclipse season here when we have a lot of nodal activity. So I guess it's a two-part question for you. One is, how would you describe the nodes in your practice? And then two, when we're in eclipse season and the nodes are getting extra, extra activated, from an evolutionary standpoint, what does that look like on a collective level? Mm -hmm. There's a, a wonderful astrologer in New York named Michael Luton, and uh he, he described the notes of the moon in one sentence. It took me 350 pages of, of yesterday's guide. Michael <laughs> was able to do in one sentence. It's a metaphor based on uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and he says, the south note is the bottle and the north note is the meeting. You know, mm -hmm. Here's your habits. Here's what's bad for you. And you know better, but you're doing it anyway. And here's the solution that re requires effort. Uh, engagement, self-discipline, and uh, a new vision for your life. South node, north node. So do you see the south node as, because um, I know that in there are certain practices of, of astrology that really see it as what you are running away from, that you have to, that you like by no means want to be hanging out in the south node. You don't want, you want, you're more or less rejecting it. Mm. Is, do you see the south node as something that we are, fully sort of turning our back away from and as we face the north node or do you see the south node as something we're integrating into that access yeah, i think it's a it's a subtle question i i guess my first response would be uh when it comes to running away from your south node good luck <laughs> <laughs> even if it were good advice it's not very practical advice uh right. and the the south node uh has good things in it um, like, for example, uh, thinking of the present eclipses and some Gemini energy, uh, if, you, if you have uh, a, a Gemini south node, you may have learned uh, many language skills in a prior life, and, and language skills can be really useful. Uh, but you might have used those language skills to, to rationalize bad behavior or to tell lies or to manipulate people. Language skills themselves are not a bad thing, but they're not a good thing either. It's just a skill set. And with the South Node, in practical terms, we do pay particular attention to the, to the pitfalls 
that are connected with it. Uh, you, you, in the illustration I just used, there's some moral dimensions, like maybe you were too good of a talker in a prior life and you're able to avoid truth or intimacy. Um, we could imagine uh, oh, a kid wakes up with screaming nightmares and uh, got a Aries South Node. And that could mean a lot of things, but one of the things it might have meant is that this uh, this kid died a decade ago in a firefight in Iraq in a state mm-hmm. of absolute horror, and and he's still scared. He he's is it's the south node of the moon. It's really important to underscore that the moon is the emotional body, and so the even thinking of reincarnation, we tend to almost everybody will will forget their past lives. Even if we believe in reincarnation, we don't remember much. Maybe you have some images and impressions, but there's a level at which we remember our past lives perfectly. And that is the level of the heart. I, I love this line. I say it all the time, that the, the memories of the intellect, the mercury memories are fragile and the trauma of death and rebirth erases them. Whereas the memories of the heart are robust enough to survive the trauma of death and rebirth. So that kid doesn't remember dying in the firefight in Iraq, but he does remember being really scared. And so his emotional body is conditioned with that. I I have a very interesting special relationship with the nodes because my uh, son is exactly conjunct my south node mm-hmm. uh, at 25 degrees Leo. Uh, to the degree in my eighth house. Um, so it, the North node is at 25 degrees Aquarius in my second house. And it's, you know, especially with it being in Leo, and then of course it being in the eighth house, it feels menacing. <laughs> but then it also feels like my son. And to me, it's like this, it is this sort of uh, very poetic, um, internal battle of, you know, I don't want to turn against my own vitality, but I also recognize the pitfalls that exist, that have to exist Mm. with this position, with this placement. Yes. Well, it's a rich territory. You do have to be true to the sun or you're just crazy. You know, that's, that's pretty fundamental. Uh, You know what you feel like when the weather is gray and drizzly for 10 days? You know, we all get the blues. If you don't take care of the sun, that's what you feel like. So you've got to be an 8,000 Leo. Not that you can help it, but you've got to do that. And yet we recognize there would be some some dangers uh, connected with the sun on the south node. I'm first and foremost a counselor. So before I go an inch further, I need to ask your permission. You know, can I discuss that note with you? Oh, yes, absolutely. You know why I had to ask. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, one of the, me- uh, first, a bit of a caveat. Uh, I'm not looking at your whole chart. I'd be interested in aspects that are made to the south node uh, and to the ruler of the south node, which in this case is the sun, and, and, and they're together. But the ruler of the south node is often a, a second source of information, just as important as the south node itself. Uh, so with all that said, and certain caveats about what I, what I don't know, a classic meaning of the eighth house, probably the most traditional meaning of all, it's a house of death. So prepare to giggle, and then we'll get really serious. It appears, uh, Elisa, that in a prior life, you died. I'm, I'm sorry. 
<laughs> what? <laughs> no. <laughs> Don't say it ain't so. Say it ain't I'm afraid, so. <laughs> I'm afraid astrological sex. <laughs> no. So it sounds really funny. That's why I said prepare to laugh. But remember, <laughs> formal definition of the South Node unresolved issues from a prior life. And so death as an unresolved issue in a prior life. We can therefore rule out that this death that we are seeing indicated in your chart occurred at the tender age of 97 as you slipped away in your sleep and your family bed surrounded by people who loved you. When we see an eighth house south node, uh, a good place to start is the idea that the person was ripped from life. We're talking about death by accident or misadventure or death by violence. And so there is a, 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 a traumatized dimension to that south node. Uh, one of the reasons you're a deep person, one of the reasons you've been drawn to astrology is you're born with this wound, with this hurt that you needed to figure out. Now, we have a Leo sun on that Leo south node. Nature of the sun, everything revolves around it. The sun is the center of things. Leo is the lion, the king of the beasts. I, I don't know what gender you were, but queen of the beasts, you know, works pretty well too. And so this adds another important dimension that in this dramatic situation that involved your death, you were probably in a position of, of leadership or at least some kind of public symbolism. In one ugly scenario, they wanted to make an example out of you, you know, that's mm -hmm. one possibility. There's a lot of drama and trauma in that South Node. Uh, furthermore, I hope I'm not talking too much, but hey, it's you, so you're interested. <laughs> no, no, this is this is a treat for me. It's very rare that I have my chart, I mean, analyzed by anyone, but let alone by you is a true privilege. <laughs> so Leo, Leo the Lion, Leo the King of the Beasts, and and uh, in every every society that's ever existed has has tended to have some hierarchical elements, you know, that there are people in more privileged positions, maybe they're born into them, maybe they earn them, but, you know, there's, there's people who are above others, whatever we might think of that in, in terms of judgment, it's simply a fact. And Leo, the sign of the king, uh, doesn't mean you're a king or a queen in a prior life, but that you are in a position of some public visibility which lends some credence to the notion of them, whoever they were, wanting to make an example of you mm. because of your, your uh, star quality, shall we say. Now, of, of course, South Node, uh, an excellent practical uh, definition of it is it's just habit, you know, karma. Karma is habit. And uh, so look at you now. You're a star, Elisa. You're on, you're on TV. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and it's your, your, your face was so eloquent there. Uh, you know, I say you're a star. Lots of people have a strong desire to become stars. You know, and it's, you know, the great uh, American fantasy that will become a star. Your, your face was so eloquent with this, you know, there's, there's a been there and done that element to stardom for you. But there's also this element of like the last time you were a star, you got in trouble. You got hurt. And so this is the monster under the bed. Now, how do you cure it? 
you're getting a full reading here, you know? I know. I can't believe it. I am like, <laughs> I don't want to say anything. <laughs> I don't want to interrupt it. I, mean, again, well, I, I got so excited about working with South Node material and I started to figure out how to do it. A few times I, I'd be doing a private session with somebody and I would forget about the North Node. I get so addicted to the South Node. It's like we leave them hanging by their fingernails from the <laughs> But there is a cure. And, and so the North Node in, in the second house and in Aquarius, there's so much to see there. The, 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 the mundane interpretation of the second house, money. You know, this is this is the first thing you'll usually hear. It's it, and we'll soon see its meanings are far deeper than that. But uh, let's start with money. Uh, establishing financial security is part of your spiritual path. Now, there there could be very formal, formally, rigidly, judgmentally spiritual people who would think, well, it's money got to do with it. You know, money is the root of all evil, and you know all all those kinds of perspectives. But see, you were profoundly insecure in a prior life, probably fatally so. And so to feel safe in this lifetime is critically important. Second house, well, money money helps us feel safe. All the money in the world won't make us fully safe, of course. Uh, at a deeper level of, of safety, uh, would a sense of safety would derive from a feeling of self-confidence, like the idea that even if I didn't have any money, you know, even if I lost my position in the world, I could improvise my survival somehow. You know, I, I believe in myself. See, you were you were strong in a prior life, but you were brought down, you were shaken, and you've still got that that wound. And so the regaining of confidence is critical here. Material security is part of it. Confidence in your skills. Skills are a huge part of the second house. Anything that makes you feel, I can, I have what it takes and I can deal with what happens. You know, this is being recovered in this lifetime. That's the second house. Now, Aquarius, I'm talking as fast as I can here. You know, Aquarius, this is about, about a kind of truthfulness kind of honesty with yourself uh, as well as with other people. It's uh, difficult to be born into privilege, as I think you were in a prior life, and, and not be seduced by that, not be tempted into playing the role that is expected of you in order to maintain the position. So I have to use a harsh word. Uh, it was probably a certain uh, prideful hypocrisy in you in a prior life. I always like when I make a, a nasty remark like that to somebody, I like to point out evolution. Once again, you were even dumber in your past lives. <laughs> and if that's not true, you're going the wrong direction. You know that? Totally. Yeah, that's good news. That's not <laughs> and, and so in this lifetime, it is critically important it is critically helpful that uh you resolve to tell the truth it's just so wild because that is the thesis of the book that i have that is coming out in Excellent. september Excellent. is veracity yeah is the practice of veracity yeah and it's called this is your destiny <laughs> excellent there's a saying in the course of, of miracles course in miracles from years ago that we teach what we are learning Definitely, uh, absolutely. I'd be the first to admit it myself, and and so there you are teaching 
what you're learning. Absolute radical truthfulness. Uh, Aquarian energy, uh, it's like, who are you that I should have to tell a lie? (laughs) I'm not going to give you that power. I just am what I am. I don't want to be mean. Uh, If you like me, that's great. If you don't like me, that's amusing. (laughs) yeah that is the aquarius motto absolutely Absolutely, yeah and that's where you're going that's where you're heading well it's it's quite interesting because um i i think that you will be amused by this is that when i first started really to go deeper into astrology um i was starting an astrology dating app, which I know that you are consulting on one now. So this was in the year 2013. I was living in Los Angeles and I went to an astrologer with my co-founder and we were still, you know, baby astrologers at that time. So this would have been our first, this was, I think it was her first reading too, but it was definitely, we were going to get this reading together. We're going to have this like experience as two friends going to get our readings. And the astrologer started to read my chart and started to, because I have an eighth house stellium, so it's not just the sun and the south node, it's also Mercury, Venus, and Mars, addition to Juno, um, if you're using asteroids. So a lot of stuff is going on in there, and the astrologer started to talk about the financial, um, the financial trauma. And I had have a lot of financial trauma. My parents uh, had an extremely horrible divorce when I was very young. They went through, they were both, they were connected as artists and their business, you know, just was completely destroyed. In a very short amount of time, I went from having a pretty normal life to really, you know, financially struggling, massive financial struggles when I was a child. And I had not reconciled those at all yet. And in fact, I hadn't, I didn't, I was, I had come out to LA at that time I was working, I wanted to, I was working in contemporary art as a gallerist. So like lots of being around money. And I hadn't told anybody what I had come from. I hadn't told anybody that I grew up on food stamps or that I lived in government housing. Like that was not information that I was comfortable yet. And she was, this astrologer was exposing this in front of the person I was supposed to be starting this business with. And I lost it. I lost my mind. I was like, I was like, stop, like, stop, stop saying it, you know, like enough. Cause I hadn't even processed it. And we went and we got dinner after, and I was (laughs) eating. And I remember like, I think I have to see a therapist. I think I need to see a therapist. And it was that that started me into therapy. And it was also that that got me deeper into astrology. So those that sort of truth telling and that veracity and that calling to light the the challenges that I was at that point, you know, still had not known how to face was the process of me not just healing myself, but learning who I was becoming myself. And yeah, and I also have the moon in the second house. so. I, Near the North Node. Yeah. Uh, well, it's 19 degrees Pisces. So it my moon. So they're they're not in or, but they're both in Placidus. They're both hanging out in the same yeah, area. Yeah. Gotcha. I'm a Placidus guy myself. Oh yes, I love it. We're we're a rare breed these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it just seems to work the best for me. I, I mean, I, I'm open minded, you know, with other astrologers, but that, that's my technique. It's interesting in the story that you've just told. A kind of underlying principle that the the unresolved karma, which we translate as habit, essentially, 
uh, has a tendency to repeat. My my favorite line is uh, is that it leaves its fingerprints on the present life. It's a little more subtle than it exactly repeats. But in your story, it was almost like a little death in your life. Yeah, everything absolutely. fell apart, and and it echoing echoing a time when you were in a a lofty position, and then suddenly everything collapsed, probably fatally. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And then that until this moment, until the reconciliation of that. And then there was still even one more because then this astrology business that I had failed and I had I still had no money. But at that time, I knew how to I had the humility and I had the grace to accept it. And I picked it up, picked myself up again, started over again. And this would have been, I think, the fourth time that I was like, you know, and, and I hadn't even had my Saturn return yet. And it was at the other on the other side of the Saturn return that finally things started to come together and I started to be able to provide for myself yes. and be able to build a life that I felt was truly aligned with my what my soul wanted based on the healing that I needed to face, which was that if I had continued to not um really learn how to talk about it, to accept it, to tell the truth. I knew that I was heading for death, you know, not to be dramatic, but it was, it was really dark. It was a, an incredible, it was just self-destructing energy. So this was my, it was like my medicine, you know, but it was also honoring the sun at the same time. I I can't help but with some irony say you've had many blessings, Elisa, you know, I have. I really have. The the losses and picking yourself up and loss and then picking yourself up. It's that second house north node. As you were through these traumas, you were learning, you know, I'm a person who can lose everything and bounce back. You know, I have what it takes. Almost uh, you're illustrating the words I was using a few minutes ago. Yeah, it's I, I have always been drawn to evolutionary astrology because I think that it really unlocks a lot of my chart and it unlocks a lot of the well i love anything that's very poetic and what i love about evolutionary astrology is the poetry of it and i love this i love the ability to suspend disbelief in order to allow for different layers of healing to come through because i do think that if we are limited to just the reality that we understand we don't have the full access to what we are capable of achieving. Uh-huh. Amen. Amen. You know, we, uh, we look like these three-dimensional monkeys, you know? Yes, I, I totally. So I want to ask you a question. I'm actually going to spice up the order a little what? bit here. But I would like to ask you, how does magic show up in your life? Uh, almost daily, you know, seriously. Uh, when you start looking for it, it's, it's, it's there wherever you look. Uh, I knew that uh, nominally Mercury was going to be our subject, but, you know, <laughs> of course, who knows where we wind up, and I'm, I'm happy to just follow the winding path. But I, I, I was uh, just thinking about Mercury, and there, there was uh, Carl Gustav Jung. Yeah, yeah of, of course. <laughs> if he's coming into the podcast, yeah, I wish we could have five or something. But uh, at any rate, uh, he had a student who passed away recently named Robert A. Johnson, who uh, sold two and a half million books. He's a famous Jungian scholar. And uh, I 
I met him through magic. Mm. Uh, I, I've got to keep the story within bounds, but a knock came on my door of a friend of a friend who told me Robert A. Johnson had a house here in Borrego Springs. The Robert A. Johnson, well, that's amazing. So I learned he was here. And then about three weeks later, a client of mine who was a Jungian analyst, uh, analyst uh, mentioned that he had a friend named Robert who also lived in Borrego Springs. And I said, Robert A. Johnson? And he said, yes. And, and it was through those two synchronistic miracles that it was arranged that I would meet Robert. And, and we became dear friends for the, the last few years of his life. He died uh, a couple of years ago, age 97. And uh, the, the astrological, there were many astrological connections, but I, I was Mercury, progressed Mercury was uh, like 40 minutes of arc away from a perfect sextile to my Venus. Oh, yeah. wow. So there was uh, through Mercury, the mystical side of Mercury, a lot of people make it much more heady than it needs to be. But Mercury is about reading omens. It's about synchronicity. Mm -hmm. It's paying attention to what Robert would call the slender threads, which we need to keep pulling. The synchronicity uh, grid would be another way of saying it. And, and so at any rate, there was Mercury linked to my Venus through this happy aspect. And I pulled the slender threads that led me into an important friendship. I would also say, I'm probably being too windy about this story, but back to the nodes for a moment. The transiting North Node, the day I met Robert, was in exactly an alignment with my son to the minute. 15 degrees, 43 minutes of Capricorn on the day I met him, my son in the North Node position. Oh, wow. That is phenomenal. Magic. Yes, I, I have a little expression that I say, tank, which means there are no coincidences. Yeah. And I find that to be, you know, sometimes it's that's the only way to describe it. It's like, how could that have happened? How could the alignment be such? How could it be tank? Yeah. You know, uh -huh. it's it just is. It's we're, tank. We're, we think alike. Uh, <laughs> but I would say that also tank for me is our episode sort of loosely centering or at least thematically bringing us back to the concept of Mercury, even though, let's be honest, the nodes are really the theme of today's episode. <laughs> but our, our, <laughs> our, sub, our subtitle is Mercury, and it's tank to have you on and to talk about the mystical side of Mercury because I even, you know, I have a Virgo in Mercury, so I have a very, very happy Mercury. Uh. But even my Virgo and Mercury sometimes forgets the role that Mercury had in mythology, which is not just about the instruction of doing something, but it is also about making the decisions of who lives, who dies, right? Who is going down the river. If someone is going down the river sticks and it's not the right person, Mercury is going to turn the boat around and say, okay, we got to get you out of here. This is not the right situation. So Mercury has a lot more autonomy and agency that I often think is presented in our, you know, mundane pop astro yeah, astrology. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm totally with you about that. Um, a, a bit of a, 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 a pulpit that I like to assume sometimes is I, I keep waiting for the, uh, the, the Roman Empire to fall. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it would. So we astrologers, we're, we're the we're the last remnant of people still worshiping the Roman gods, basically. Oh and, yeah, and which are very much the same as the Greek gods with different names, and and so that that Greco-Roman mythology 
is wonderful and powerful, and it's in, it's a treasure of human wisdom. But it is not the only mythology in the world. And it misses some things that are important. Mercury, case in point, just heading a little bit north, heading up into the forests of old northern Europe. They worship a, a god named Woden or Odin, depending on which culture we're in. And uh, see if you can detect some Mercury symbolism in this. He allowed himself to be blinded and tied to Yggdrasil, the world tree, for nine days, basically kind of crucified and blinded. He agreed to this, and the prize that made that suffering worthwhile was the runes, the alphabet. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's a guy who loved to read. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't that feel like a Mercury signature? And so in in those northern cultures, the runes were an alphabet, just like our a, B, C, D, you know, is, is, uh, is an alphabet. But there were also like tarot cards. They were a divinatory method. And, and so mm-hmm. this Mercury signature god called Odin or Woden was basically willing to suffer enormously in order to develop, uh, to a- access a technology of divination. And you don't get much of that in the in the sort of Greek or Roman take on Mercury, which tends to be more cognitive, mental, logical, rational. Mercury is all that, but it also has this ability to read the signs and the omens, to read symbols. And that's where Mercury gets really interesting to me, where it's mystical, magical. Yes, yes. And I think that, you know, going back to classical antiquity, the Mercury staff has always been really fascinating you know the staff with the two snakes um and the and which has obviously been adopted by ambulances and hospitals and it is the you know it's it is both the creator and the destroyer in these different situations just as words and language can be yes yes i've always read that the snake the Caduceus. I'm not sure if this is there's any academic basis for it, but but what it's always meant to me is the the intertwining of of body and call it mind or spirit, and that we cannot understand health, you know, which is the the medical expression of the caduceus, without recognizing how interactive those two things are. Right, which is actually one of the main Gnostic principles. Yeah. Um, is is always that duality of you know the the worm and the lion's head yeah. that symbol of what is it Genobis? Yeah. yeah exactly yeah. exactly well i would love to pull a card for yeah. you well, while yeah. we're on this because i think that speaking to this um this is a this is not even me now tapping into my moon in pisces this is me fully in mercury and virgo who's going to be able to divinate through the card yes. So, Stephen, do you have a question or is there something that you would be curious about that a single card pull would be able to provide insight on? You know, the first question that comes to me, I, I'm 72 and I'm working harder than I've ever worked in my life and I love what I'm doing, but I wonder if I will ever get a rest. Wow. Okay, let's see. So, do we want to ask how? Should you take a rest? Um, what does rest mean for you? Or how would you, what do you think the heart of it is? I think the, the heart of it is uh, that the, the human part of me 
would would like to I, I I never want to retire. I love the work that I do. I you know I'll, I I used to say would the Pope retire and then a Pope did. So the metaphor. <laughs> <Okay, so, laughs> there goes that. <laughs> so I just I should be clear about that. But I, I I do work very long hours and I would like to have more time to to travel and just sort of enjoy myself in a human way. But I'm I'm sort of spiritually confused uh, about the the right balance of uh, the, the 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 sense of mission and duty that goes with mm-hmm. it that is so precious in my life uh, versus uh you know do i get to be human you know yes i mean this is i'm a capricorn rising wow. and i know you're a capricorn sun yeah. and you know time right for us is just this impossible um container because we are so aware of the passage of time and time running out. And that's astrologers. All we care about is time, tracking time and astrology and the planets never stop. So how do we stop when the planets don't, if our, if our job is to translate that motion? You have most of your work still ahead. I know I'm exhausted already. See the light at the end of the tunnel, myself. <laughs> I'm exhausted. So this is not just for you. This is for, this is for all of us <laughs> astrologers who need to also, you know, we're not just sand dials and sand clocks here, you know. So let's ask this: What is the what is an invitation for Stephen to be able to find a little bit more balance so that everything works in flow? in such a way that you won't feel like you need to compromise the hard work and the important service that you're offering, but you can still enjoy your life, enjoy Borrego Springs and wherever you want to go. And you don't feel like you have to be glued and become sort of like a, you know, in servitude to the work. Does that sound that sounds good? good? Okay. Let's see. Three of cups. Beautiful. Mm. So what this says to me is that you absolutely need to be hanging out more than you are and hanging out with lovely people and just having fun, enjoying the magic of the summertime and make a point to do that, Uh, to make a point to like schedule that time to just be around peers, to have a cocktail, to just you know, to disconnect from all of the stress and the hard work and the responsibilities and the money and the planning. And I know that you, I was just, Ricky was just on here. So I know how hard you guys have been working on Leela. Um, So I could imagine that really just taking a break from all of it to just enjoy is actually really what the doctor ordered here. And I think is actually going to benefit your work as well. Mm, I hope so. It's uh, right now that Leela, you know, heyleela.com, it's total tiger by the tail. You know, I've written uh, essentially all the material for that. There's more to be be written. We're going to do a soft launch at the end of this month. So that's uh, bye, everybody. I'm going on a cruise for six weeks. I I don't think would fly. And then at the same time, I've also been the last two years uh, creating a school, an online school of astrology. forestastrology.center, you know, would be the website. And uh, it's a, 
like 190 instructional videos and, and counting, oh you know, it, it's, it's been a huge project to, to build this uh, mechanism. And my aim has been to build a, a school that could exist even after I'm gone or I lose my marbles or something like that. And so we have, you know, a lot of already a lot of students, even though we haven't advertised it very much and, you know, a team of teachers and, and material that kind of stands on its own two feet. But I, it, it, we're still building it, and so every day there's something to be done. But the 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 way I, I could line up what I'm saying, these requirements in my life with the the message of the Three of Cups is that both Leela and and my school, I, I I can see a time not too far away when those things are built, and and mm-hmm. that's when I, I think the door is going to open for me. Uh, when, I don't know, a year, maybe something like that. But even still, I would, the way that I asked that question and the card that I got says, this needs to be integrated into your life today. Now, this is a, this is a very present, you know, it's a low card. It is a three card. It is something that is tangible. It is something that is current. It is a current reality. (laughs) So even now going into your calendar and saying, okay, I, I, if I need to Capricorn sun style this and say, I'm scheduling downtime, so be it. But the downtime is essential. The peer time, the being present, the relaxing, the decompressing social time is important for you based on this poll. The the gods may be cooperating with you in this one and working against me, of course, with my workaholic. Of course, course, you're a Capricorn sun. They're always working against you. (laughs) In two weeks, uh, on the 18th of June, my, my sweetheart, Michelle, and I will will drive to her place in New Orleans. Oh, wow! We we'll spent six weeks in New Orleans, and and uh, she needs to go there. She's a portrait artist and has to do some photographs. And I I I was I'm planning to work on another book when I'm there, but it's too noisy for me to to record readings or or videos or anything like that. It's you know the the, the recordings are always ruined by motorcycles and jets and things like that. Yes, it, well, Bar- Borrego Springs is hard. You, you, that's like a very specific kind of quiet. <laughs> that is an unusual type of quiet. <laughs> I like cities. Cities are fun, but when I go to a city lately, I'm so struck by how noisy they are. I mean, I grew up just outside of New York City, so I didn't realize it was just life. It wasn't noise. It was how life was until I, I moved out here and realized it's quiet. <laughs> I know. And the space to think, yeah. it's incredible. It's good for the soul. Silence. I think so yeah. too. My next question for you, and I'm sorry to say my last question oh. is what do you believe in? Uh, the uh, meaningfulness of life and the continuity of consciousness beyond the phenomenon we call death. That uh, mind uh, has existed since the beginning of the universe, whatever that means, and, and is indestructible. And the evolution of our consciousness is, is the purpose of life, whether we like it or not. You know, we flunk the eighth grade, we can repeat the eighth grade, but uh, better to get on with it. And so, not to lose our sense of humor, but to take life seriously. Life is a precious opportunity. Life is uh, life is stressful because learning is stressful. Uh, to to 
live without stress would be to live without evolution, live without growth, which, as I think about it, would be very stressful. <laughs> it's paradoxical. Absolutely. quickly Because feelings of emptiness and purposelessness are extremely stressful, and they erode the soul. So I'm not exactly talking in a circle. So those are my beliefs in a, in a nutshell. I love it. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time today. This has been so incredibly delightful and so um, profoundly inspiring. And it's a real privilege to have you on. And thank you so much for considering my my very interesting nodal signature in my chart and for your words on it. It's I, It's more meaningful to me than I could even possibly express through my mercury right now. Um, but where can our listeners find you and connect with you and continue to follow along with your well, work? Well, um, two places. My, my, my website, forest, two R's in forest, just like a woods, but with an extra R, forest astrology, one word, forestastrology.com. So uh, that, that's uh, all my events and new books and things like that are up there. Uh, and then uh, my school, forestastrology.center, um, that's a good way to keep up with me. And uh, and then heylila.com, there's, there's, a, there's a, a lot of Stephen Forrest's face up there too. So those three places. Thanks for asking. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time today. You're very welcome. And thank you for having me, Elisa. Thank you.